welcome to the Moms in Prayer podcast, a place where we put our finger on the pulse of what's happening in the world today so we can better pray for and equip the next generation. Our focus will always be revival and spiritual awakening in our children, our schools, and our motherhood. We're so glad you're here with us. Let's get started. Happy end of July, friends. I'm your host, Leanine Heiss, and it is my pleasure to welcome you here to the Moms and Prayer podcast. Some of you are already in the throes of back-to-school shopping and gearing up for the busy of getting kids out the door every day. Can I confess that I love the school supply aisle? Weird, but true. Each week, I have the opportunity to interview men and women who are doing the thing for Jesus in this world, and it's my job to ask the questions you would ask if you were sitting right here with us. Today, our guest is Pam Farrell. She's authored over 45 books on the topic of marriage, family, and faith. As you'll hear, she's fun, knowledgeable, and a Moms in Prayer mom. Today's episode is a little bit longer than our typical episode, but when you have a chance to share a cup of coffee with a parenting expert and talk about teaching healthy biblical sexuality to our kids and grandkids, you don't get up till you're done. Pam is gracious, loving, and full of stories that teach and inspire. You're going to love her. Let's get started. Well, Pam, welcome to the Moms in Prayer podcast. Oh, I just love Moms in Prayer, and I love you, and I love your new book, and I'm just excited that we get to connect and chat here. Yay, it's been quite a deal getting online today, hasn't it? It has. It has. Like my internet yesterday started just like not working. So Bill called in the pros to get it fixed and they sent, yes, Jesus, they sent Jesus to fix my internet. Yay! <laughs> so we're just praying it like stays with this uh, wonderful opportunity to get yes. Such a gift about kids. I love it. Such a gift. Well, you have a pretty atypical lifestyle right now. (laughs) Um, And I don't know how familiar our Moms in Prayer audience listeners are with you. So Pam, would you go ahead and introduce yourself and your family to us and then tell us about your atypical living situation? Okay, sure, sure. The professional side of me, my husband and I run a ministry called LoveWise. It's at the intersection of God's love and God's wisdom helping people with their most vital relationships. And our key verse for that is Proverbs 19.8, the one who gets wisdom loves life. And we all want to love life. And so that's our goal is to help people learn to love Jesus way. I have written 45 books. That's what helped put my kids through college. Amen. Thank you to Jesus. 45 (laughs) is mind blowing. I did one and I feel like that was heroic. So the first is the hardest. My husband, uh, for most of our married life, from the time we met, we've been in ministry and um, we started in ministry together the day we got back from our honeymoon. So he's been a pastor. It was first a youth pastor and then a pastor of a small but then growing church. Um, It grew to be the largest church in our area by the time our kids were in high school. He was there for 15 years and I was director of women's ministry. And then he went on staff with Dr. David Jeremiah as a small groups pastor. He did that for four years. And so I was in that moms in prayer group. First, I was in a moms in prayer group in this city where my husband lead pastor and then we moved cities and I joined moms in prayer there in El Cajon. Um, and now most of my mom's in prayer is like, uh, on the internet like this, mom's still in prayer for our adult kids and now our grandkids. The private side of me is 
been married happily for 38 years, have three boys. They are now awesome adult leaders. Yay. Thank you, God. It's a miracle in this you know, world. And I can say that. Uh, two of them are coaches. One's a high school football coach. One is a college sports performance coach at division one level. And one is an engineer with his master's degree. And I tell him he is my retirement plan. Uh, <laughs> so he's the smart one of our family. We our atypical living is kind of connected to that. Bill's parents, uh, my dad died about 15 years ago. So he's been in heaven for a while. He's a story all unto itself. But last minute, last week of his life, he came to know God in a personal way. Yay. Mm -hmm. But um, my mom is an awesome believer. She's one of my prayer warriors. She prays also with a group of people for kids around the world. She's very plugged in uh, to her local church as well. But Bill's folks, they're like 89. And one's frail of mind and has been our whole married life. And one's frail of body. Bill's dad is amazing aerospace engineer, put people on the moon with the, um, he was on the design team for the rocket engines of most of everything that's ever landed on the moon, gone around the moon in space. Yeah, I mean, you name it, the guy is smart. And my son, who's an engineer, got those DNA genes, yay. And so, but they're 89 now. And so we sold our 3,000 square foot home with a thousand square foot business office, downsized dramatically to move up here next to them. Uh, and we live in a marina on a boat, on a boat. Yes. So we're doing the crazy fun midlife adventure, you know, closer to care for Bill's folks, because that's what God has called us to do is be family, care for each other. But we're loving life on the water. I think it's hilarious. First of all, <laughs> everybody has to follow you on Facebook because I love when you film from the boat. Your adventures, I think even just watching you go to get mail is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I kayak over to get my mail. It's faster than driving or biking. I love that. I love that you're so upbeat and positive about a time when really could be stressful and hard yes. as a family. Yes. Yes, it is. If that's one of the ways that Bill approached me. One day he walked in and he's like, it was midnight. He was exhausted. I just looked at his face and I'm like, something needs to change. Keep driving back and forth, back and forth every week for three years. Like this is killing you. Keeping your parents alive is killing you. Like, do we need to move? And then he's like, we'll just pray about it. And he came to me a couple of days later. He's like, Pam, I know this is a hard ask to ask you to give up all your friends, your family, your church, like everything to come take care of my parents. They're not easy people, but you're half mermaid and you've always wanted to live um, by the <laughs> beach. Why do I put you in front of the beach on the boat? And I'm like, that's fabulous. It's a great idea. And so you know, it was very emotional letting go of all your things. You think you're not materialistic until you have to let go of all your stuff, especially books. I gave away 5,000, literally 5,000 books to mom's groups that I spoke to for over a year. I've just wanted every woman to be able to take home as many books as she wanted. So all the mom's groups got to take home bags of books and pastor's wives saying, hey, here's my library. It's really fun to see that God encouraged other people as he was encouraging me to let go of stuff and keep the memory, keep the picture of whatever is precious, but let go of the stuff. So that's a whole nother story that I'm loving it. And my grandkids love coming to visit me here on the boat. So that was one of the things is we want to lure them, lure them over here, uh, pun completely intended. Well, we are <laughs> in the middle of summer in kind of the 
lazy last days of summer. And I was thinking about summer topics and what we want to explore in the podcast. And so we have this kind of vein that we want to stay in. And on one side is anything that our children face and our schools face. We want to yes. talk about those. And then yes. the other side is mothering. And I know you have a heart for that. Mm -hmm. um, anything that affects our mothering right now, we want to talk about that. And then we kind of lay this blanket canopy over the top and go, okay, so how do we pray for it? And how do we equip our children to face it? And so one right. of the topics I'm in the absolute middle of right now is teenagers and talking about sexuality. And mm -hmm. I cannot possibly be the only one talking about sexuality these days. <laughs> oh, yes. We live in a world that is just crazy in what they're wanting to tell our kids that's just so not true and not in align with God's best for their life. Um, so we live in an environment that's really toxic for the most part. And God has called us as parents to be our, the first educators of our kids. And so um, when uh, we wrote 10 questions, kids ask about sex and answers to have ready. I thought I was a pretty tuned in mom. Like I thought I really knew what was going on and, I was the mom that was t encouraging all the other moms and like go to the district office, read the everything they're going to teach in health class, go to parent group, you know, go to parent night and ask the teachers what's coming, like be informed, be involved, be in the moms in prayer group, pray it up. Let's pray for our, our schools because they're trying to tell our kids things that are just not good for them and their future. Bill and I had written Red Hot Monogamy, which is a book for married couples about um, how to, you know, live out that wonderful gift that God has given to marriage with sexuality. And because of that book, moms, like, especially kept asking, okay, so like, that's for couples, what do I do when I need to talk to my kids? It gives me a stomach ache. It gives me a headache. I'm freaking out here. And so Bill and I just, we were youth pastors for a good long while. And so we were comfortable talking about this because that's just the world that we lived in when we were young married and starting our family. And so from the very beginning, you know, of your kids being toddlers and like, What's this body part? What's that body part? Why is her tummy poking out? You know, those little questions that they ask, you know, where did yep. I come from? You came from Missouri, honey. No, um, <laughs> right. but, you know, we have to have questions that are good for every age and stage. And so that's really what we wanted to do in 10 questions kids ask about sex is we broke it up. It's way more than 10 questions. It's just basically 10 areas and 10 time, uh, times of their life. And we walk you through the principles and actually give people the exact verbiage if you want, some talking points at every age and stage. Uh, so you're able to cover the basics and you feel like, oh, at least I have a starting place and I can personalize this. But what we found is we really needed to address where the parents were first because a lot of parents had you know, not known Jesus. And so of course they didn't walk according to the word because they didn't know it at the time, or maybe they were prodigals and they made some mistakes in that their own area. And that shame and that guilt was stopping people from even having the conversation. And so that just says, here kids, let the TV or your peers train you or somebody in a school that doesn't have your values. And None of that is good. And so we had to first help people with the, like their own emotions. First, we encourage the parents to reach up, get from God what you need in order to have the help and the hope and the healing for you first. 
And then you reach out, you reach out to, you know, other leaders, your youth pastors, other parents, moms in prayer, friends, and you form a community that cares and wraps the truth around your kids at all the ages and stages. So we were talking a few minutes ago about how much spiritual warfare revolves around this book and yes. really just the topic of sexuality and our kids. Can exactly. Me, I mean, spiritual warfare is not something I want to give too much credit to and something that I don't want to pay attention to at all. So <laughs> this must be an important topic. Why is sexuality so important, Pam? Well, you know, um, the Bible is really clear that um, it's a gift from God and God created what we call red hot monogamy uh, in our ministry or sex as a gift. And it's a gift. It's, it's like cement um, in a couple. And in Ephesians, it's described as a picture of Christ and the church. And so sex is a picture in humanity, the most closest we could ever come to the strong connection of love, sacrificial love, and unconditional love in humanity that God started, God originated. God is the originator of love. And nobody loves your kids more than God who created your kids. And so I think that's why there's such an attack in this area, especially as we try to educate our kids in that it is a gift from God. God wants you to have a pure heart in all areas. It's not just about sexuality. It's about having a clean, pure heart before God in every area and wanting God's best for you in every area. And because we help couples with their intimate life, we see the underside of misuse of sexuality, mm -hmm. all the problems it, that are really hard to manage, like pornography and adultery and sexual diseases, even some infertility is caused by not walking according to God's will. Um, not all infertility is like that, but some sure, is sure. an outcome of some of the sexual diseases. And so like the trouble, the broken hearts, broken homes happen when we misuse sexuality. Well, my husband was in Europe. We were speaking to uh, military couples in Europe. The son, uh, when we walked in, he's like, hey, wow, you, ha you drive the Audubon in that cool little sports car love to go out in it. And the son who's 16 said, I'll take him. And over in Europe, they have to like have like special driving permits. They have to be really well trained to drive the Audubon because you can go as fast as you want, as fast as you are skilled to go. And mm. so he said, I'll take you out. And the dad's like, don't go over 125, like something we'll never hear, you know, in, in, right. in the United States. And so they get on the Audubon and they're, have, they're driving safe, but they're driving quick. But somebody just like totally zooms right by them, just whizzes right by this really nice, fancy sports car, you know, in the heart of both of those men. They're like, oh, it wouldn't be nice to drive that fast car. Well, they go up a little bit further. It is a fiery ball. It is crashed oh. and probably nobody survived it. And that's how powerful sex is. Sex is a powerful gift. And if we treat it well and we use it according to God's word and will, it blesses us and it blesses our marriage. It's like, you know, a super glue that holds you together. But if you misuse it, it, you can crash and burn your life pretty quickly um, in some significant ways. Now, God is the master redeemer, and God can redeem anything that we give to him. 
but there are consequences and there's pain to pay and there's circumstances to walk out that make your life a little harder and more complicated. And so that's why we want the best for our kids. That's why we don't just want to hand this wonderful, amazing area of education um, of their sexuality over just whoever, because the outcome is so important. And what I've seen is there's a huge connection. The two things that God says that will protect a marriage is sex and prayer. Those two things he specifically says, you know, to to come together and to pray. And then after you pray, then come together sexually so you're not tempted. That's what the word says. And so if sex and prayer are for a married couple, the most powerful thing, wouldn't it be true for any person, single or married? How we manage relationships and prayer are the two most vital tools to help us navigate this crazy world that we live in. So that will know us by our love. That's what Jesus says. Okay. I never put those two together. <laughs> right? Most people like don't, that. but that's I, what the scripture does. <laughs> it's fascinating. You know, it's funny. Um, we just got back from a car trip and I let my son who's 15 drive. He has his permit now. And we were on the highway. And just like you said, there were people just rushing past us. And finally I said, but are you ready to change seats with me? And he said, yeah, mom, I am. And I got back in the seat and there was sweat all all over the seat. I mean, his legs had just been sweaty. His back had been sweaty. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, that was driving, but we talk about sex with our kids and it's us who's sweating as moms. Yes, right. Isn't it? It's not just, I mean, like, I'm sure my son's going to be doing the same thing when we sit down and have this conversation again, but this is something we have to talk about as parents. We do. We do. We have to get over ourselves because there's so much at stake. It really kind of starts, we have two books, 10 Best Decisions Every Parent Can Make, and then um, 10 Questions Kids Ask About Sex, and they kind of work together in that we set up a learner leader day once a year where we negotiate privileges and responsibilities, and we give a gift that applauds the uniqueness, that calling, that you know ministry that God has given to each one of our kids so that they stand. What we saw as youth pastors is it kids had an area of strength they could stand on by the time they were 13. They actually navigated the teen and college years much better. So we give them a gift that applauds that. And um, so I asked our son Brock at graduation, you know, um, Bill was a pastor and I'm like, do you and daddy want to speak on like what we did well as parents? We know we made lots of mistakes, but like maybe you could find one or two things that we might be did right. <laughs> and um, he's like, sure. You know, so he got up, he's like, okay, my parents disciplined me. Like they were consistent. So uh, I knew what was expected and what would happen if I decided to rebel against God and my parents. They were consistent in their integrity. They were seeing people on the stages, off the stage. So there was that integrity thing he said about us and himself. And he said, but, you know, my friends have these big dreams on their hearts, but they don't, didn't have Jesus. And so they didn't have the power behind those big dreams. And what my parents did with the learner leader thing, they gave us a goal big enough to make good choices for. And then my, then my son said, and those moms in prayer moms, it's like I had a force field around me, a bubble. <laughs> the prayers like hemmed me in. I couldn't sin because those moms in prayer moms, they like put me in this 
cone of silence, um, you know, to keep me from sin. So I just thought that was awesome that he saw the, the power of prayer, um, you know, work in his own life as well. But when he said, they gave me a dream big enough to make good choices for, that actually is a foundation that we laid for our kids starting at age four. And that any parent can lay, okay, here's the vision you're a gift to this world, that your uniqueness is what God's going to use to bless and build other people. Let's like help you become your very best self. So that gives them motivation to make good choices with their peers and to lead their peers rather than have their peers lead them. Then when they were about 11, we have a team relationship contract and we have our kids fill it out. It has all, it's in the 10 best decisions a parent can make book and talking to your kids about sex books is in both places. And it's also, you can download it at LoveWise at our ministry and put it right on your kid's computer so they can fill it out there too. But we have them go through, this is what God says about how to manage relationships. Um, and then there's a bunch of questions that they fill out, like, how will my parents know I'm ready to date? What is a date? What are my boundaries? What does God say? How far I'll go um, at, at different stages of my life and different stages of a commitment in a relationship. And so we just have that really important conversation every year from age 11 all the way through 21 or when they marry, get married. So whatever comes first. And then we have a feral scholarship fund. Our kids in college are told that just like any scholarship, this one comes with a set of guidelines. And those guidelines are as mom and dad work really hard for our money. So we don't pay for sin, drugs, alcohol, sleeping around, apathy. And so if we see any of those things in your life, um, our money goes away. And, you know, money is your last line of leverage with college students. So, um, yeah. And so they know all these things. And then when they're 16, you know, they get the keys to the car. We gave our boys a bracelet. Some people give like a purity ring. Uh, we gave our boys a bracelet and a, like an ID bracelet. And on it, it says, until the day on one side and the other side has the verse out of First Thessalonians about being sexually pure. And so our guys... We're applauded and encouraged to be honest. And that's what we just basically said is like, you know, we all have areas of temptation and things. Just talk to us first. Don't let us hear it from the grapevine. It, things will go better for you if you just keep that open line of communication. And, and there's two ways to live by fear or by faith. And um, so when the kids would go out the door to a date, I would bless them. I would say, God, just like bless these guys as they're on the date. I know that they're going to live as people of integrity. We've raised them with our family motto, Lord, out of 1 Samuel 2.30, those who honor God, God honors. And so I pray that they would honor you today. And I pray that tomorrow at church when we see that family of that young woman that he's dating, that they'll thank us for having a boy that has so much integrity and is watching over the purity and safety of this young woman. So thank you ahead of time for the good decisions our boys are going to make in Jesus name. Amen. And so you just, you pray yep. the good decisions into them. You know, you say what you believe they can become, not, you don't pray up your fears. Like the worst thing you could do is Lord Jesus, I pray that they won't get anybody pregnant tonight. Amen. You know, you right. have a little bit more faith in your kid than that. Even if you're afraid for some of those things, if you speak the truth over them, that's where the power is. The power is in the word of God. And so praying up the word of God, that's why I love moms in prayer because you pray scripture over your kids. Oh, exactly. I read a couple of statistics in this book that blew my mind and really hurt my feelings as a mom. <laughs> and I knew these, I knew these, but basically it's saying, our kids in high school are falling into sexual temptation at staggering numbers, but the one that 
really, really impacted me was that 80% of evangelical youth, and that was between the ages of 18 and 29. So 80% of them had been sexually active before marriage. That was a gut check for me. It was a relevant survey that came out while I was writing the book. And I thought, wow, Lord, how do we help our boys stand in this kind of environment? And how do we help our girls stand in this kind of environment? How do we help when the whole culture is like, hey, yeah, sure, live together. Even though couples that live together, 80% of them don't make it to the altar. And those that do make it to the altar are twice as likely to get divorced. So they never tell the full story. They just like, hey, whatever, test drive the car. Our society is playing fast and loose with our kids. And so the big prayer is like, how can we help our kids make good choices in an environment? Holding Brock as a newborn baby and Bill was a youth pastor and I was rocking him back and forth and um, I was praying, Lord, you know, some kids seem to soar and succeed at 18 and some seem to stumble and fall. Like, what's the difference? What are those leadership qualities, those practical traits that we need to get into this young life so he can make good choices? I then penned out a prayer and it was about a hundred things, character qualities and leadership traits and skills that needed to get into a young life. But that list is now in 10 best decisions every parent can make. We had a once a year learner leader day where we negotiated those privileges and responsibilities and we gave a gift that applauded those kids and we would choose one trait off that list to focus on for that next year, whether it be integrity or courage or initiative, et cetera. So we did that year after year for those years our kids were growing up till they were in college. Well, I penned a prayer that day. So I'm holding a newborn and I'm writing, Lord, let our kids be like a Daniel or a Joseph willing to stand alone for their faith if necessary. Well, fast forward, Brock became the starting quarterback at 16. And he wanted to make a difference on his campus. And so he went in his freshman year and he's like, mom, are, are my friends really need Jesus to live out their hopes and dreams. What if we had like a pizza party and I'll share my personal story of faith and give my friends an opportunity, you know, Jesus, we'll play some games. We'll watch like a video of Christian athletes and we'll just give my friends an opportunity to know God. Well, as a result of those pizza parties, Brock was a three sport athlete. So we had three of those pizza parties. Over 34 of his friends came to know Christ in a personal way. And he's like, mom, we need something on campus. I mean, I can't get 34 people in your van to come to youth group. And so the moms in prayer moms began to pray, you know, what can we do to support these kids? And so those families, moms and dads um, that started with the moms in prayer group, they were the booster club for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Club that mm. um, are boys formed on campus. And so that club grew from like a handful of kids to about 200 Brock's senior year. When he became starting quarterback, he called his friends. He's like, hey, you know, after we win this game against this rival school, let's go to the 50 yard line and get down on one name. Let's pray and thank God for the game. So this is before the Tim Tebow thing. You know, this is kind of a newbie thing that nobody had seen happen. And um, so they're like, yeah, we're there for you, man. Well, the game came, they lost like 68 to nothing. It was like, a horrible loss for a starting quarterback. Everybody's discouraged. I kind of just wandered off, headed to the bus in the locker room, but Brock went by himself to the 50 yard line and got down on one knee. And Bill was filming the game. And you can hear me like say to Bill, Brock's all alone. Should I like run down in and pray with him? My wife's husband's like, oh yeah, that's what the starting quarterback wants his mommy running on the field. And so I didn't go down, but right then two other players from the opposing team came and knelt next to Brock and began to pray. 
And um, we went down with his youth pastors and Bill and his student venture and fellowship Christian athletes leader. All of us were around him, wrapped my arms around Brock. And I said, Brock, we grace you boys. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Those who honor God, God honors. Mm -hmm. Somehow, some way, God's going to honor you for this day. And fast forward, I mean, he ended up getting like numerous scholarships and he got a full ride scholarship to Liberty University where I was at a bookstore in Beings, Arizona, teaching like about this, these two books. And um, the bookstore owner, she pulled me aside. She's like, where did you say Brock got a scholarship? And I said, Liberty. And she said, oh, my, my Hannah, she goes to Liberty. So I exchanged uh, phone numbers and pictures of the kids. And um, long story short, uh, I got a phone call. Hey, mom, um, you remember Hannah? Yeah. Uh, well, we've been dating for about six weeks. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? He's like, because I knew you'd say, so you should listen to your mother. Ah! <laughs> but anyway, they dated for about 18 months. Um, they decided they weren't even going to kiss until they got engaged, and which is like radical, even in Christian circles. You know, they just both felt like we're wired really hot. So let's take the high road. Brock got down on one knee and one day and he took her to a place that he had first met her and handed her one piece of a nail, handed her nail. Then he took her to a um, bench that they had prayed together every night um, and handed her another nail. Then he took her to the campus where they had prayed about their relationship in the chapel and handed her a piece of board. Then he took her off campus where she lived in a home with some of her girlfriends and he handed her the other piece of a board. And then he took those boards and hammered them into the form of a cross and hammered the cross into the ground and said, Hannah, I want our relationship to start and stay at the foot of the cross. Hannah, I love you. Hannah, will you marry me? Hannah, will you kiss me for the first time? To which Hannah replied, yes, yes. And um, now they have been happily married now for 11 years. And he is a head football coach. Uh, he teaches leadership classes that are optional, which are basically just Bible study integrity classes. Over 100 young men come in a society where 50% of all people don't have a dad in their home. The newspaper even did an article about Brock and the way he coaches like so caring about every individual kid. And one of the kids says, Coach Farrell is the closest thing to a dad that I'll ever know. And he's honest. And so I passed the baton now of teaching on relationships down to my boys who now are coaches. You know, that's kind of what we want. We want to pass that baton of faith from generation to generation. Regardless of the statistics, the Holy Spirit and God are more powerful than statistics. We have to help our kids want God's best and then also want to recover God's best. So, you know, we're all imperfect and we make like, mistakes and we trip up along life's path. But do we have a heart that wants God's best? Even if we fall and fail, Lord, pick me up. Just like David said, cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me out, I'll be white as snow. That's what we're going for, that heart of integrity that keeps wanting to press forward and choose God's best. I was going to ask you if you thought purity was realistic today, but I think Brock's story shows us that it is realistic. It is. It is. It can possible. be. Yep. It is possible, but they have to want it. Um, Bill and I made that same commitment. We went into marriage and we were both virgins, which is like kind of a mini miracle even way back then. So we knew it was possible. And then when we were youth pastors, we, instead of expecting the worst out of kids, we would expect the best and be like, no, you have choices and this is your life and the choices that you make will impact you. Uh, but if you want God's best, it is possible to walk it out. 
but you just have to want it. Our kids in our youth group had a higher rate of making good choices than the average kids way back. You know, that would have been a couple of decades um, ago, but still the culture was not friendly towards making uh, decisions that were of sexual integrity back then either. It's just like a continuous slope down and we're seeing the outcome. We're seeing the outcome of societies like whatever they're going to do it anyway is now there's like no boundaries and Pandora's box has been open. A redefinition of marriage and redefinition of gender and just complete confusion on the sexual forefront about what's okay, what's not okay. Kids being addicted to porn so much that they can't even finish their high school education because they're so addicted. Sex trafficking, the rate of sexually transmitted diseases is through the roof. Um, I was at a MOPS meeting and a woman came up. I was teaching on this topic, how to talk to your kids. She came up to me and she was sobbing, like sobbing so hard, like she can't even get the words out. And I like wrap my arms around her and I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. God is big enough. I know this is an area of pain, whatever you're going through. And she's like, no, no, I just have to tell you, keep talking about this. Keep talking about this because I rebelled and I was a prodigal and I didn't listen to my parents' good wisdom. And then ended up getting a sexually transmitted disease and that disease that impacted my ability to get pregnant. And then when I finally did get pregnant, then, you know, my baby paid the price. She was in the NICU for so long. And you just have to tell people, keep telling them, Pam, keep telling them, even if they won't listen, keep telling them. Mm. And so I carry her around in my heart because I see the pain. She was in so much pain as a mom. And i I just want to rescue people from pain. And that's really what all of us moms want to do is help our kids make good, wise choices so that they escape some of the pain and consequences um, that happen when we don't have respect. A lot of times we're just like, oh, you know, God doesn't really say, you know, that song Blurry Lines came out um, as I was writing this book about sex. And um, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's okay, whatever. Anything goes and I'm like, yeah, let me take apart that passage out of 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. Is it a blurry line? I don't know. Okay, so, hey, I just want to read just this little section um, out of 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. And I, I went through and I looked up the key words so we would have a definition of what God really wants in this area of sexuality. As we teach our kids, we should know it first. And so here it is. It is God's will, his desire, his decision, his intent that you should be sanctified, consecrated, set apart for holy use, that you should avoid abstaining distance yourself and keep away from sexual immorality, fornication, consenting sex involving someone who is unmarried, all sex of all kinds outside the context of the marital bed, adultery, premarital, extramarital, homosexuality, prostitution, and other perversions that each one of you should learn. No, Realize, be aware, recognize, and have the information to control, acquire, and possess your own body in a way that is holy, consecrated, and dedicated to God, and honorable, respectful, treating it as if it is high and precious in value, not passionate lust, passion that leads to a craving, deep desire, or lust, like pagans who do not know God, who do not believe in God, or have yet to realize a relationship with God, perceive God. And that in this manner, no one should wrong, go beyond, trespass, step over another, or take advantage, exploit, outwit because of the motivation of greed or self-indulgence of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish, uh, judge, avenge, bestow his wrath on all those who commit such sins. And it goes on. 
but that's the gist of it is that God not only told us like, here's what I have. It's a precious gift. It's consecrated. It's holy. It's special. But then he tells us how to live it out. Don't step over. Don't feed the bad desires. Feed the good desires. Don't try to exploit somebody just to get what you want. That's what God is so good at. He not only shares, this is what I want for you. This is the best for your life. But this is how to get there. And so he gives us a path to get there as well. And that's just what we need to share with our kids is God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. This plan is to give you a future and a hope, an abundant life. And here's the path to it. Choose integrity. Each step, moment by moment, listen to the Holy Spirit. And I think that passage out of First Thessalonians just reminds us it is crystal clear the standard yeah. that God set for us, no matter what the culture is telling us, this exactly. is God's standard. Yeah, this is God's will. Yeah. Yeah. I had that opportunity to just tell my daughter a couple of nights ago, even though all of your friends may be swearing. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. you have to. God's right. standard is clear on this and it may be difficult, but difficult's not bad. Difficult can actually be good and growing yes. and stretching in our kids, right? Yes, exactly. Because um, like, because as a college student, I made a radical change. Like I was a cheerleader, homecoming queen, like all about people and popularity. And then I gave my life solely to Jesus. I came to know Jesus at eight, but at 18, I made a radical like, whoa turn in my life and I'm like all for you Jesus my life always gets better when I say yes to you Jesus whatever you say Jesus that's what I'm gonna do I became just like in love with Jesus if Jesus went to the cross for me I will take the next step for him and that radically changed the way I managed relationships I broke up a relationship I had with a non-believing boyfriend who was trying to pressure me in this area. And I said, God, I'm just not going to date anybody for a year because I'm addicted to men. I like, I have a, like a loser magnet on me. I can walk into a room with hundred men in it, 99 emotionally healthy, and I will find the one crazy person in the room. So God, you just need to remake me. And I spent a year studying healthy men in the Bible, like Daniel and Joseph and Jesus and Boaz. And I spent a year just reading up scriptures about what does God say about relationships and integrity and it, all the verses in the Bible about integrity usually come with a blessing. God blesses the upright. God blesses the person that walks in integrity. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. We always want to be blessed. But many of us don't want to make the choice to get under that umbrella of blessing, which is just simply obedience. And that's what we want to pay, tell our kids. Hey, it pays. It pays to be under that umbrella of blessing. Oh, yeah. And we want to shove them under that in yeah. prayer. I mean, you know, just like God's blessing, God's provision, God's protection is underneath this, this standard that he has set for us. His ways yeah. are good and right. And so I want to ask you to talk to us about helping our kids make smart decisions. You made SMART into an acronym. And so S is suspend gratification. Talk to me about what that means. Yeah. Okay. So this is make your kids, even when they're little, wait. When they're standing in line at the grocery store and they're like, oh, I want that candy. I want that candy that they always put right there at the grocery store checkout. Like, uh, well, you can buy it with your own money. You know, uh, you want to come back next week with your own dollar, uh, you can do that. So don't just give in to them. And if they throw a tantrum, definitely don't give in to that. Don't reward bad behavior when they're little. Because then when they become 14, 
they think if they throw a tantrum, the person that they are liking should just do whatever they say. And that leads to all kinds of bad stuff way down the line. And, you know, they even did a um, test with marshmallows and they put, you know, four-year-olds in a room. And then they said, you know, if you wait and don't eat this marshmallow, when I come back, you're going to have two of them. Well, it was hard for those four-year-olds. Only a small percentage of those four-year-olds waited till the person that came back. But the ones that waited, wow, they tracked them. And when they're in high school, those were the kids that had the better GPAs. Those were the kids that got the college scholarships. Those are the kids that ended up making better choices in the area of relationship. Mom and dad practice the word no, because it will help your kids say no to bad and yes to good later on in their life. Yeah. I've thought a lot about this, that I wonder sometimes if we don't know how to say no to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's just such a great skill to have to begin teaching our kids is S, suspend gratification. Like we, there are some things we just have to wait for. Yeah. It, it's just a benefit, not just in the area of sex, but across the board. So M, mind authority. Yeah. If you teach your kids to honor you as an authority, what you're really doing is teaching them to honor God as an authority. And so really that's what the goal is. I like to picture myself as the connector piece of a Lego set. You know, I want them really connected to God so they honor God. But if they first learn how to respect and honor me as a mom or a dad, then it'll be easier for them to then honor God. I love that. Okay. So what's A? A is adore God. And that is just teaching your kids to have a listening heart. I couldn't find a quiet time that was kid friendly when my kids were like seven, eight, nine. So I wrote one and it was just like, here's a scripture, draw a picture of the scripture. Here's a scripture, draw a picture of how you would live it out. And so it was kind of like art and scripture put together because all my kids liked that at that eight, nine, 10 year old stage, I was teaching them to have a listening heart. And I see it in my grandkids now too, my oldest uh, Brock and Hannah, they're wonderful parents and they have soaking time every day and they put on Christian music and they um, just read scripture as a family and then they let their kids either write or draw or whatever they want, dance, like whatever they want to respond to God in this little 10 minute time. They set a timer and then soaking time's over. They're just teaching them how to have a listening heart. It's teaching them like, you know how we tune in on a radio to get the station clear? You're teaching your kids how to get a clear connection to God through God's word. Mm. We do that so much. Pray that into place that they would adore their God, that they would love him first, obey him, walk with him, see him as worthy. What a great thing. So R. R is resolved to be authentic. Be honest with your kids. And what we tell our parents is give them information at the age where they need to know the information. You know, maybe you made a mistake when you were 16. Well, when your kids are approaching 16, like be honest with them. Um, You don't have to tell that story when they're four or, you know, 12, but at 16, they're probably facing some of the same things you were facing. Just be honest and authentic. One of my boys was really drawn to high maintenance chicks. And I'm like, uh, guy, I can tell you what life is going to be like with them because I was one. I was one of those cheerleaders who was like kind of a tease and I had a lot of expectations. I didn't know how to love selflessly. I wanted like the world to revolve around me. So let me tell you what it's like to have a relationship with somebody who's like thinks they're the sun and you're the planets revolving around her. And so I could be really honest and I'm like, 
you know, um, I was hard. If you want to like spend all your money, your hard earned money on this person, then that's what it's like. If you want them to like be pouty all the time, no matter what you do for them, they'll expect that. And my husband, him, we always had a father son trip um, every year um, that Bill took the boys on from starting age seven all the way through high school. And that's when Bill would have his um, talks, the guy talks. We broke up our sex talks into small increments all along life's path. So when the boys were going into high school, our son, Zach, he wrapped his arms around Zach like really tight and he got like right in his ear. And he's like, some girls are wonderful and marvelous and your life will be better with women in it because God made them fantastic. But you have to watch out for the women who are high maintenance. They're kind of like tapeworms. They'll connect to your life and then suck the life right out of you. And then he just like held him there like, and, and he was describing this high maintenance Jezebel kind of woman. And then Bill said, are you feeling uncomfortable, son? He's like, Yes, dad. He's like, that's how your life will feel if you have the <laughs> bad women in your life. And I mean, it's very memorable. And so he went to high school that first week and that particular son is um, very charismatic and good looking and etc. So super great people skills. So all, it was like a chick magnet. All these high maintenance girls wanted to have a relationship with a 14 year old boy. And I'm like, no, praying all the scriptures uh, to keep those high maintenance girl out. And he came home one day and he's like, I have to tell you what happened in class today. I met one of those tapeworm girls. Like, we're like, really? He's like, yeah. She passed me a note. She's like, Zach, you're blankety blank hot. Do you have a girlfriend? And Zach wrote back, no, I don't. And he, she's like, why blankety blank not? Because you're so blankety blank hot. And Zach's like, well, because I'm not going to date until I'm, I can, you know, make decisions that are good and move forward toward marriage. Like, like I don't just date. My dad's a pastor. And so I, besides that, I only date really nice Christian girls. And the girl wrote back, um, well, I'm a nice Christian girl. And the, Zach wrote back, uh, no, you're not. Yeah. But here's, here's the invitation to youth group. You can come meet some of my friends that are girls at youth group. I can't date you, but you want to come to youth group, you can. He experienced it himself. And that helped. You know, he had a benchmark for what's healthy and what's not healthy from the very beginning of high school because of that very honest conversation that we had, both Bill and I. Our testimony, Mike and my testimony, is just that we did everything wrong. I mean, absolutely <laughs> everything wrong. And then we both gave our lives to Christ. And really, Mike had been a believer, but repented and began walking in lordship again. And I came awesome. to know the Lord. And so that was great. But we had years, just so you know, we did not kiss until we were engaged because we needed to walk that stuff yes. back. And yeah. now our kids are teenagers and we're having those conversations right now going, we did this all wrong, all wrong. And I am always amazed by how much grace our kids have offered us too. When we said, like you said, I was a tapeworm girl. Our kids are gracious and I think more willing to listen to our stories. Yes. Yes. If we only preach platitudes and we don't share our authentic self, whether we make good choices, like you can share your authentic self. Like, you know, I just want you to know we did make good choices. We sacrificed. We, it, and the part that we had to experience pain and hardship was we were mocked. We were made fun of. Like in college, uh, we, Bill and I were mocked because we didn't kiss. And I remember being like, well, you can mock me, but um, this is working for me. So, okay. Uh, and so we can be honest in that way with our kids too, is 
there's always a price to pay and we just have to decide, do we want to pay the cost of godliness and walking in righteousness and those beatitudes, blessed are those who are righteous for they shall see God pure in heart for they shall see God. Do you want to pay that price or do you want to pay the negative consequences? But just be honest, whatever side of the coin you land, and most of us are a mishmash, a little bit of like, hey, tried to do good in this area, like totally messed up in this area. Just be honest and feel free to be honest at the level and at the stage where your kids may be struggling with it. Like it's okay to like hold out the principle of God and then pull your kids aside and say, okay, let me tell you this really hard moment in my life and share very authentically. That's great. And so let's complete that acronym SMART. T is trust the trustworthy. What do you mean? You know what? We can be more relaxed if we're in a safe environment. And so for our kids at all ages and stages, we want to place them in safe environments. And so that means when they're younger, we choose those environments. And there's some statistics in the Talking to Your Kids About Sex book that protect your kids from like sneaky people. Those are the kids, the people, the pedophiles and things. Well, most pedophiles don't, are not the men dressed in black hiding behind bushes, okay? Most of them are people you know. And so how to identify is if somebody is spending too much time lavishing big presents on your child or, your, or talking to your kid privately away from you, especially like online, really monitor this whole digital age. I, my friend um, Arlene Pelican wrote a great book about growing your kids up in this digital world. Yeah. And uh, to really monitor how they're connected and who they're connected to, that's a red uh, flashing red light. Like, yeah, don't be talking to my kid online. Also, it's kind of hard, but the statistics say that, let's say you have a neighbor and they're going through a divorce. That means the parents are kind of wrapped up in their own pain. And sometimes they don't monitor what's going on in their home as well. So studies say that if there is a uh, older teen in that home, college student who's sexually active or the parents going through divorce, there's more likely a chance where an older child in that home may sexually abuse your child when they're over mm. playing. So you think yeah. it's safe, it's not. So just invite those kids over to your house. They can probably use some tender loving care if their parents are going through a hard place or if they have an older sibling that's a prodigal. But the one that's really hard, and I'm saying this to the single moms, the men you date sometimes can be that person or the stepbrother that you brought into the home. Um, so be wise in the way you manage your relationships as well, because sometimes the people you think are trustworthy may not be as trustworthy. So really vet people. It's okay to do a background check. Just saying, let God do a background check, but you might want to also do one yourself. Wow, those are great great words. And there's a statistic in your book that I wanted to throw something when I read it, I'm going to open it up and just read it to you. It says one woman in four will be sexually assaulted during her lifetime. In a survey, one in 12 college men admitted to raping women. 35% of college men indicated that they would rape a woman if they could be assured of not getting caught. Pam, I took this book with Mike at lunch and I was like, please explain, please tell me yeah. about this. Here's what I know is that if there's ever been prayer needed over our children, but these men were raised by somebody, right? And this is not their mom's fault, but we need to do some teaching and we need to do some praying, right? 
Yeah, we do. We do. And we need to be involved parents. You know, you know what your district teaches. If your kids are in public school, if they're in private school, work with them to teach God's standards of relationships and then gather people around to pray. Pray with your pastor, pray with your youth pastor, pray with moms in prayer, pray with other parents and parent groups and pray and then take action. In the first chapter, I call parents to be heroes, to be, the Bible calls them watchmen on the wall. And the closest thing we have right now is lifeguards. I live on the beach and there's lifeguard stations all along the way. Those people are vigilant. They are watching the water. They're making sure everybody is safe and it's going to come out alive. And it's their job. They are on duty to be vigilant and go rescue people if necessary. And that's really what God is calling us to is be heroic, heroic enough to speak up and speak out, heroic enough to teach our own kids. We gathered all the parents in our community and said, hey, let's do this together. Let's have a relationship conference every year that our kids are in school as teenagers and let's share God's principles, make it fun, make it the best, the coolest thing ever that happening in our community. But let's team together to help our kids be trained and equipped so they at least have the opportunity to make wise choices as well. So that's what God's calling us to. All of you moms out there, you're your kid's hero. Be mm. the lifeguard. Mm, I love that, that we have the opportunity to stand guard around them through prayer and through our prayerful action after that, exactly. that we have a responsibility to do this. I cannot believe how timely this book has been in my life. And so we're going to list how to get it in the show notes. It's 10 questions kids ask about sex. And we're also going to put the smart parent tips into our show notes as well. Awesome. How to help our kids make smart decisions. And Pam, I just... I know that I listed a couple of statistics in here that are scary, but really I got to the end of this book and thought, I'm doing some of this. And I can do the rest of it. Yes. And I want to thank you for that. That was my goal is to empower and encourage and inspire parents to be heroic. Because I really think that you can be your kid's hero. It's interesting that the statistics that I came across is that when kids are asked, who do you want to learn about sexuality and relationships from? It's their parents. I know. It, like Nobody believes us, but that's what the kids said. Even... Seniors in high school and those in college said they prefer to have those really important relationship um, discussions with their own mom and dad. Here's the interesting thing, especially if their parents had a strong personal faith, they became the most trustworthy people to talk about this area with. So moms in prayer, you're ahead of the game. I just want to say you've become more approachable because you're a praying, God-loving, Bible-loving woman. I love that. Pam, would you mind praying us out of here, especially for all of us who are in the middle of training our kids in the path of sexuality, godly sexuality? Lord, thank you so much that you are so in love with each one of the people that you created. You sacrificed to go to the cross for every one of us and every one of our kids. That's how much you love us. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the power and the courage to be that kind of hero to our kids, to make the sacrifices, to get uh, educated ourselves. Give us the encouragement and the empowerment to be brave enough to say, hey, I want to take you out for coffee or ice cream. I want to set up this rite of passage program, walk into manhood or a 
princess party. Like, Lord, give us creative ideas like that to just pour into our kids and say, this is important. And um, Lord, I pray that you would lead us moment by moment by moment through your word. From the time our kids are born, Lord, every day of their life, let us be prepared to give that good word of encouragement and inspiration from your word to their heart. Lord, let us be that connector so that our kids fall in love with you and fall in love with walking with you more than anything else, Lord. And so we pray that you would help us be first people of integrity, put us um, underneath that umbrella of blessing as we seek to walk upright and pure, and then help us gather our kids around us under that umbrella of blessing by being women of the word. Father, thank you that nothing, absolutely positive, nothing is impossible with you. God, if you are for us, nothing is against us. So God, we choose to be heroic watchmen on the wall, lifeguards for our kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I told you Pam was fun, and she's a huge advocate for Moms in Prayer. I'm sure you want to see the contracts she talked about in the podcast, and you can find the links, the scriptures, and the books she talks about and has written in our show notes for today's episode on the Moms in Prayer blog at momsinprayer.org. We'd love to hear your stories about how prayer has affected your kids, your home, and your community. So email us at podcast at momsandprayer.org. Moms in Prayer is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest, providing encouragement and prayer tools for your parenting journey. And I'm on all those channels as Leaning Heist. Moms make the difference. Moms who have really brave conversations about hard things. Moms just like you. See you next time.